0: Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we pair a compelling theme with one of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. And this week, we're going to be looking at the theme of ability in Star Wars. To start us off with, we've got a quote from The Empire Strikes Back when Luke is training with Yoda, and Luke says that he can't lift the X-Wing because it's too big, to which Yoda replies,
1: Size matters not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? And while well, you should not,
0: yeah, I think that that this is a really excellent quote for showing how Yoda is has been judged by his size and has been judged by his stature, and that Luke has a mind that is shaped by a kind of ableist and in the Star Wars universe, human focused view of the universe.
1: Yeah, and it, part of it is his ignorance right of just not ever having interacted with jedi or there's obi-wan but besides him and also Mm. like never interacting with someone like yoda but yeah just seeing him and making assumptions about his capabilities because of his size it's bad luke stop
0: bad no luke no
1: yoda knows size doesn't matter why are you so obsessed with size luke (laughs)
0: well if we wanted to get into our analysis I had a character I wanted to talk about
1: okay well what character
0: I want to talk about Padme so when I was thinking about ability in Star Wars I I definitely remembered some of our discussions when we talked about this in the world of Avatar in particular the kind of differences between benders and non-benders and and how that affects the way people navigate in the world and and I felt like really the prequels is one of the few times in the movies where we see a world that at least from our context and, and and the narrative we're following is occupied by a large number of people with powers the original trilogy even the the jedi battles tend to be pretty muted and and even just the use of force lightning is so amazing i think in that because it is a more pared down version according to the trends and the the capabilities of movie making at the time. Mm -hmm. But by the time we get to the prequels, Jedi powers and flips and, and deflecting lightning bolts and all that stuff is so commonplace that really Padme starts to stand out as a character who almost reminds me as like, Sokka as the non-bender in the group, where she is the the non-Jedi there. And so I think it's, it's interesting to see Padme through this lens because it's really the only time that a single member of the Golden Trio is so outclassed in some of their abilities by the rest, where compared to Obi-Wan and Anakin, she just doesn't have the ability to manipulate the Force the way they do. But her abilities, I think, are not action-oriented the way that the prequels are so overwhelmingly, but they are focused on intelligence and diplomacy and political acumen and all these other types of things that you honestly don't really see a lot of main characters be able to utilize in long-running series. And I really appreciate, actually, that at least in episodes one and two, her diplomacy plays a really important narrative role where what she's negotiating for and the way she's doing so is really crucial to, in episode one, the, the solution where she creates the alliance with the Gungans, and in episode two, the narrative thrust where she is in danger because of what she's fighting for in the Senate. And I, I, th- I like that. I, I think that it's one of the times when we really see a character who doesn't have these kinds of extraordinary abilities that are given to so many of the protagonists utilize different kinds of abilities in in really distinct ways. And that even if the narrative certainly by episode three sidelines that, which I think is problematic as we've discussed in the past, uh, the way they, <laughs> that she's sidelined in episode three, I do at least appreciate her in episode one and two for that, those reasons.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it does give some richness to the world to see that there are other ways of doing things it's not just like oh I have to be a really good fighter or else like I can't have a role. Not that in the end it makes a difference sadly Mm. but yeah I think it's it's definitely a good thing to show and something that also just in general you don't see as much having women in those roles that Mm. are the kind of main center of of diplomacy. Yeah, which is cool.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's an important intersection. And then, of course, you could even say from the other side that even though she did have that centered in a way that wasn't typical for female protagonists or female characters, we also didn't see a female Jedi until Rey. And we didn't see a female oh, action in the same way. Oh, you didn't see those
1: ones in the prequels who got killed at the end and didn't even seem to sense anything in the force. That, you know, maybe they should turn around and somebody was going to shoot them.
0: Yeah, we, we that, didn't see them. They don't count? <laughs> actually competently fight. We just saw them die.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I think that, that her skills are, are great and undervalued. Agreed. What plot did you want to bring for our discussion?
1: So I wanted to talk about droids and how ability is involved with them as as characters and as um, roles in the Star Wars universe. Mm. And I think it's one of the places we see a clearest example of how ability can come into play. And I was thinking about how in A New Hope, when they were all in the trash compactor and C-3PO thought that they didn't stop it in time and and had said like curse my metal body I wasn't fast enough it's all my fault and I was thinking about that and how it's not just in that instance but you also see other instances where he's like easily falling over or like not able to move mm. as fast as other characters are. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of that is used for comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not the ideal way it should be, but it, you know, also not to make excuses, but things in the 70s, I, I don't hold to quite the same standards as I would, you know, for things in the 90s or whatnot.
0: Or, or maybe. The same expectations, at least.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm still going to criticize it, but it, I absolutely wouldn't expect them to do amazingly <laughs> in yeah. regard to ability in yeah. the 70s. But I think it, that instance of, of distress for him was an important small little moment that we got mm-hmm. to see. Because I think a lot of people who are differently abled or have certain limitations can often blame themselves because they're holding themselves to a standard that or society is holding them to a standard mm. that is for someone that is more privileged than them. So, yeah, I, I like that little moment and that at least it's it's there. But I think also when you, you think about bigger issues too where it's not just around 3PO but droids as a whole, I think the fact that Droids can be controlled uh, through Mm. things like restraining bolts and even, like, programming. Like we see in The Phantom Menace, you have this whole droid army and, you know, you can just program them to be one way and then you can apparently blow up the mothership and they all just, like, deactivate. And also in Rogue One, we see that too, whereas... K2SO originally had been programmed as an Imperial droid and then was reprogrammed to Mm. be different than just following that sort of programming. And I think those elements are interesting in terms of the vulnerability that it poses to droids and especially as a people group in Star Wars because we wouldn't necessarily think that about our type of computers, but as we've talked about it in the past, droids are not shown to be just like our computers. They mm-hmm. seem to have feelings and all sorts of other types of abilities that we don't consider our devices being able to have. So Yet. I think that having that other kind of avenue of vulnerability that i mean you could say with quote-unquote jedi mind tricks humans can be vulnerable in some ways but it's it's still not the same Mm. i think there's also the issue of memory wipes which Mm. we know happen to c-3po and i'm sure many others again that is a vulnerability that they have that their makeup lends itself to that others exploit, and that could have all sorts of effects, and and even to the point where we, we see in Rise of Skywalker another element introduced with Dio, and what you know really could only be described as having you know some psychological issues mm. based off of clearly some abuse that had happened. So. Droids are just very interesting when it comes to ability, and I I really wish they did more with it because I think it could be so compelling. But we kind of only get, like, little snippets of how these things could affect them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's really compelling. It, It makes me think a little bit more about how disability and impairment overlaps at times with but is sometimes also distinct in Star Wars from agency. An restraining bolt and the Jedi Mind trick, they 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 take away the agency of those who are affected by them, whereas the programming or the physical way that you're building a droid to awkwardly walk or whatever it might be is going to be a way of, of building into them these kinds of impairments. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I guess we should move into our compelling questions. What question do you have for me?
0: Yeah, so my question is, what do you think the advantages and limits are when discussing or utilizing a a metaphor of ability in a galaxy and a world as fantastic as Star Wars?
1: Yeah, I think there are so many possibilities because you can really do whatever you want. Mm. And it, when you're dealing with alien species, there's so much you could do. You could have an entire species not have uh, the ability to see or hear, or you could have, as like even we talked about a little bit with Yoda, like just a completely different stature and and have things surrounding that in how these different alien species, like how their culture is different and how they have different strengths and different challenges. And obviously, even within the species themselves, whether it's a humanoid species or, or not, you could have individual characters be differently abled in different ways as well. So yeah, I think that there would would be so many things that you could do to make this vast world more dynamic because ability among humans is just this vast thing that encompasses physical, mental, and within that so many different subgroupings and so I think different planets different atmospheres different plant life different you know all of these different things there's just so many options yeah it's it's endless the Mm. possibilities and you could really bring attention and kind of push different ideas political and social with it hmm You've seen some things like that be done. This isn't in regard to ability, but with the movie District 9, that was all just a metaphor for how society deals with refugees. Mm -hmm. And they use an alien species for it, because in some ways you can drive home things just in a different way than you can in our own setting, and so there is just so much you could do. And, yeah, I think I think there are some limitations when you're dealing with movies hmm. because you only have so much time. So unless you have a, a character that is central that's differently able, you're just not going to do any of the issues surrounding it mm. from experiences to... Treatment to societal obstacles—you're just not going to do any of it justice. Mm. Not to say that you should just ignore it. I mean, put someone as a central character—obviously, would always be my go-to. But
0: (laughs) yeah, when you were talking about the different kinds of planets and things, you mentioned—you know, whole planets that might not be able to see or or what have Uh, you—that actually reminded me of this great comic book. Uh, written by Alan Moore in the 1980s of the Green Lantern Corps, which is like DC's version of the Jedi, basically. They're intergalactic space cops. But they use this green light is their power, and they go to this planet and try to recruit someone from that planet to join their ranks, but this planet don't have eyes. They don't have sight. And so they have to translate the idea of a light... A green light into sound and I think it becomes like the sharp trumpet or something like that Hmm. yeah it's this whole kind of different way of looking at similar abilities but from a completely different perspective that is no less powerful it's just different and I think that that you bring up a really good point of of how much opportunity there is for that kind of storytelling in this type of universe and unfortunately how how limited we are by by just seeing movies and in particular movies that tend to have casts of mostly human characters, where Chewbacca becomes a stand-in for all Wookiees, and we don't know yeah. if he has any different kinds of ability than the rest of his people, or we don't even know what Yoda's race is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's that. never been named. And so... <laughs>
1: Maybe we'll find out with Mandalorian, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now we've seen even one so... other canon character. But, yeah, yeah. so it's... I think it's, it's... We definitely see those limitations of...
1: Is you know. Chewie's hearing sensitive? Or are all Wookiees hearing sensitive? You know?
0: Um, yeah. Or are it... humans' hearings just dull? And... Yeah, Most other I mean, species in the galaxy have as sensitive hearing as Chewie might have. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I think that all of these are, are really interesting questions that can be raised through this type of universe. But at least in Star Wars, you don't see in the movies a lot of exploration of them.
1: And like for, for that example of Chewbacca, like it's only seen when it's a problem, hmm. not when it is an asset. Because you'd think that he would hear a lot of things coming that the humans wouldn't, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: It should have been, you know, when they're in that asteroid, he should have heard the Minox before anyone else did.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. For sure.
1: And I think, too, when you're dealing with war, I mean, it's Mm. in the title, (laughs) like, war directly interacts with ability, and to not explore that at all is is a real missed opportunity.
0: So true, but we're, we're not quite there yet. You, you still I know, need to ask I know. Me I your have to do compelling my compelling question, question first. <laughs> <laughs> so lay it on me.
1: So my question is: Where do you see mental illness play a role in Star Wars?
0: Hmm. Good question. I definitely see Dio, as you mentioned, as as one of the clearest examples of mental illness kind of playing a role and one thing i don't know if this is a an accurate reading but it makes me think about the year between the end of the empire strikes back and the beginning of return of the jedi where Mm -hmm. luke does seem to strengthen his power in the force but he doesn't go back to dagobah for training and he comes in and he's wearing now these dark robes, black robes that look more like Sith robes than Jedi robes, and seems to still still put importance on the relationships around him, but he also seems kind of detached at times. And, and I wonder if there's a reading there of he has had to also deal with his own shame and identity that came about with the revelations of Darth Vader being his father and his failure to... Do anything substantial in that confrontation, and you know, losing his arm in it, and 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 the awful things that happened to Han. But but he he seems to be on his own. He's not with the rest of the crew, and and so yeah, I'm I guess I'm I'm curious if to if maybe he was going through and and had to to work through a, dep- a depressive episode or a time of of depression or other kinds of mental illness at that time.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think. Also, as as we see him in The Last Jedi, I think depression there is, is clear. Hmm. And instead of being able to, yes, be changed by those things, but still be able to kind of have hope that your actions can do something positive in the world and have still some amount of hope and confidence in yourself to be able to think that you can get Han back, to think that you can turn your father back to the good side of the Force, or whatever we would call it. Versus, I think, in The Last Jedi, I think he lost the faith in his own abilities, just to be able to not harm others, or to make the right choices, and you know, I think, I think he, lo- he lost the resolve to try, which I think, yeah, can can be a really strong pull when dealing with depression.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you bring that up also made me think about his belief that he couldn't see Leia and Han again, that he failed them so badly with their son that they'd never forgive him and that he failed them so much. And I know that for me, in, in some of my unhealthiest moments, my fear of disappointing those I care about can sometimes override other emotions and, and lead to a desire to run away instead of dealing with things. And, and that means that he ultimately chooses to have no relationships rather than healthy relationships. And that is itself an unhealthy choice, I think. And mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that I, I can only see that now after this discussion through that lens of of him really going through a mental health crisis there
1: yeah and just seeing and not only having failed his friends and family but all of these people that were looking to him to restore the jedi order and Mm. him seeing that he was hypocritical that jedi are supposed to I mean, obviously, we've talked about so many times, are they actually helping with peace <laughs> in the galaxy? <laughs> but that's what they're supposed to do. And they're supposed to only do things out of defense. And he made a choice that was not that. And he's supposed to be teaching all of these young people how to be a Jedi, and he couldn't do it himself and Mm. obviously it's not just one choice you make and then forever you can never go back from it but Mm. yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: i also kind of see mental health playing a role with kylo ren Mm. because i think in the force awakens and the last jedi you saw yeah him have some severe emotional outbursts mostly with Rage mm. and kind of striking out in violence, even if it wasn't always towards other people, but towards the machinery, <laughs> at <laughs> least in the first movie. And I don't think that they really carry that through in the last movie, though. I think that's a shame because it's not like, oh, I just got over that. I mean, also, you could imagine the trauma you would have experienced from. Your uncle standing over going to kill you yeah, in your seriously. sleep.
0: Then that would... you killing everyone at your school. Yeah. In, you know, the rage that followed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so it's like, it seemed like there was stuff going on, but then just wasn't really there in that last one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can go back to our special episode on The Rise of Skywalker to, to hear us talk about all sorts of things that weren't there in that movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, mainly me talk about my displeasure, <laughs> but just another thing to add to the list.
0: <laughs> yes, and speaking of displeasure, how about moving to our missed opportunities?
1: Okay, what what were you thinking?
0: Yeah, I think for me there is a missed opportunity of having folks who particularly might be represented outside of the human norm that the galaxy seems to be built around to actually address that in the narrative
1: Mm
0: -hmm. right this this goes into i think in previous episodes we've talked about the the social model of disability but this is this is the model that talks about how impairment is something that could be caused by the environment or genetics or, or, or or all sorts of other kinds of things but that that is different than disability, which is a social problem that says that we've created society in such a way that you are unable to do certain things with the way that you live in the world, because we have not made society in such a way that you have access to engage with it equally to other people. Mm-hmm. And I really, really like this this model of, of disability and something I've been learning a lot more about, uh, honestly, uh, on my own and, and myself quite a bit more to learn, of course. But I think that Star Wars would be a really interesting way of of seeing this type of activism take place where look, look at Maz Kanata, who herself is of small stature. We don't know if that's her race or if that's her personally. But we know that she still operates a bar that seems to cater to people who are around human sized and or average human size, I should say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what does that mean for her? She's an outspoken character. She's a great character. Why doesn't she fight and, and manage things in such a way that there is more accessibility instead of her having to climb up on top of things. And why aren't other characters complaining about the injustices of a society where it is catered to a very specific portion of that society, where Chewie has to bow his head every time he comes into a room and mm-hmm. he doesn't get a medal and the two humans do for some reason. And, you know, all these other kinds of things. And, and not to mention talking about droids and and you know i think that that l3 is one of the few examples that we do see of this really and and even though that i think goes more into ideas of agency than disability but yeah I, I just i i wish uh we saw more of that discussion happening within the characters of the the series
1: mm-hmm yeah i completely agree and i think going back to your question if they actually explored just different abilities and different Species, and then obviously within species as well, you would get to see that more, you Mm. know? Where it's like, this species doesn't have eyes, like you were talking about that comic book. Mm. But that's not a problem for their society, and there could be some advantages and disadvantages associated with it when they interact with others. Mm. But... Why is it that they have the problem that needs solving rather than, like, it's just a different way of being? Mm. And especially within an imperial structure, they could have done so much with that mm. because our society doesn't accept people who are differently abled. And how would an empire interact with that? Yeah, again. Yeah. Missed opportunities.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's your missed opportunity then?
1: Mine is that so many of the times that we would see characters be differently abled, it's just kind of, quote, fixed in a mm. way where it doesn't significantly impact their lives. For example, we we're talking about Yoda and his smaller stature. They have him then be able to do things by just, like, jumping around off of everything so that, like, he can still have a lightsaber battle with the Emperor at the same height as Obi-Wan would, Mm. you know? Yeah. And you have Chirrut, who is blind, but is able to, with superior hearing and also force sensitivity, is able to do way more than... Most people in the series can. Yeah. And you have, I've mentioned this in in our last episode like, people having appendages cut off, and then they just get a new one, you know? (laughs) And it's like, it doesn't impact them at all. Like, they don't seem to have any phantom pains at the very least, but also, when you get a prosthetic, it doesn't just operate exactly the same way as your hand did before. But in Star Wars, it just seems to. Hmm. Even as we were talking about some of the, the limitations that droids face, then you have R2 who can, like, somehow fly around and do anything. Yeah. So it's just that's hard for me as someone who has limitations myself and having to change my life in some ways, having to adapt to a new way of living that is not how I did, you know, for two-thirds of my life. Mm. So then to see other characters who maybe you could see some parts of yourself in, but then you can't because it doesn't really impact them. I think the only character that we really see experience a negative impact from a physical limitation is Darth Vader, when, like, the Emperor's Lightning messes up his mask. And kind of leads to his death, and you know we had a tiny glimpse of of him sitting in some sort of like oxygen chamber, hmm. but even those are like peripheral, and they don't really seem to affect in any way that we can see in any overt way. They don't seem to affect his character, his perspectives, his relationships, etc. I mean, that's just not the case for anybody who's not able-bodied in the ways that society says that you should be able-bodied. And so, yeah, I think that that, to me, is just a real missed opportunity and, yeah, just takes away the depth and the stories from those characters who could have had stories more like real people who do live with impairments or differently abled in a society that just doesn't make accommodations.
0: Mm. Yeah that makes sense and yeah I think that that looking at Darth Vader in particular through that lens is is really really fascinating and really interesting.
1: Yeah it could have been. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well and and I mean it, it, that kind of I think now is is just my takeaway then is is almost maybe a headcanon of we don't see really Anakin become Darth Vader on screen. Mm-hmm. We we see him named as Darth Vader and we see him do awful things but you know the the no is the best example of <laughs> <Okay>. people
1: <laughs> the not, worst scene ever yeah,
0: not seeing Vader in Anakin in in that performance and in that writing. So, I won I guess yeah, I think my my kind of what i'm I'm ruminating on is is thinking about maybe it was the time between episode three and episode four or Rogue One where that time of living in prosthesis and living a life that is so different from that life that he had before is what changed him and what led to some of the developments into the character that we see where we see a character who is slower and calmer and more precise in his movements and not about speed in his fighting ability but more about these kinds of very quick but but intense jabs and things and
1: well and how interesting would it be to see a change. I mean, and they didn't do this with Rogue One, but if, if Rogue One, that little scene, which, yeah, was badass, but if that wasn't there, I think there would have been a lot more room for this potential change that he could have gone from using so much more of, like, his body in his Jedi powers hmm. to pouring more energy into training and learning other ways to use the Force yeah. that aren't so dependent on a lightsaber even you know how that could lead him on a path to learn what Qui-Gon had learned about how to kind of live on after dying and and become this force ghost like if there was something there that showed a shift and an adjustment period I think yeah it would have been a lot more interesting
0: absolutely yeah do you have a, a takeaway
1: I think my takeaway is that it's hard when you're dealing with series that part of what they're built on is superhuman abilities. Mm. I think it's hard to not erase disabilities or impairments. It has to be done in very specific ways because the message shouldn't be, oh, you have disabilities or impairments, and thus you can't do X, Y, and Z. Hmm. But also at the same time, there are impairments that make it so that you cannot do X or Y. Maybe you can do Z. And erasing that, I think, is really problematic Hmm. just socially and then the the messaging and the, the social dialogue that's out there. Because... We don't live in a world with superheroes. <laughs> we don't have all of these extra other abilities and in a world where most governments don't support people with resources that people need to be able to have more capabilities in their life. I think it just kind of ignores that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think my takeaway is that we need To be more creative in the ways that we tell stories. And Hmm. so if you're dealing with super-powered people, that can't be the crux of the storytelling, or else this is going to continue to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what we'll be discussing next week when we return to Harry Potter?
1: We are going to be looking at the theme of Commitment.
0: Okay, commitment in Harry Potter. That'll be fun.
1: Yeah. We're committed to Harry Potter.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes.
1: (laughs) Even as other people, i.e. creators, don't always have the right views, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we are committed to the series. (laughs) Yes.
0: To the (laughs) series and, And I think the compassion ideals that the series, I think, ultimately does portray.
1: Exactly. I mean, and, and we've, we've seen this with other things too. It's like sometimes the messages within something contradict to some of the actions or thoughts of their creators. And that's a not uncommon thing
0: that we yeah. see in the world. <laughs> yeah. And, and certainly is hard to navigate. But we, we will continue to put forward the respectful and critical analysis that, that you know and love us for listener
1: <laughs> we hope so
0: <laughs> i mean if you've gotten this far into this episode <laughs> but really thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of geek between the lines you can find us on social media by searching for geek between the lines on facebook instagram twitter or pinterest or you can go to our website at bit.ly slash geek between the lines you can also go to our patreon at patreon.com geekbetweenthelines geek between the lines to help support the show and keep us sustainable as well as getting access to all sorts of fun extra content we want to thank kimberly taylor pastel at lacelit for designing our logo you can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on facebook or instagram thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week until then peek geek out